Scripture reading for this evening is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. <clears throat> then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. this Lord's Day for our first time today. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles and be turning to the book of Ephesians and the sixth chapters where we will begin the thoughts of our lesson this evening. In Ephesians chapter 6 we will begin looking at a passage of scripture there in that context and then we will go to other places in a few moments. If you would just allow me for just a moment to express not only my appreciation to be here to be able to worship God with you this afternoon, but also our thanksgiving for your prayers and your thoughts throughout this week. Uh, this has been a busy week for us. We went down to Haynesville in Shongaloo, Louisiana. Uh, Kristen's grandmother had passed away earlier this week, and so we went down there to be with uh, our family, and we are thankful for your prayers in that regard. Also, my grandmother, she uh, took a fall a couple of weeks ago and had some complications as a result of that fall that landed her in the hospital. She is still in ICU, uh, hoping to go into a regular room uh, soon, so she is vastly improving. They're not trying to hurry her out of there, though. They are kind of content with keeping her a close eye on her, and, and we are as well, and so we certainly appreciate uh, your continued prayers on her behalf as well. As I mentioned last week, we are going to be looking at a series of lessons that, is, that we have throughout this year on the family. We're going to be looking at some different topics of importance regarding the family. And tonight we are going to address the issue of discipline and instruction in the family. In the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here in verse 4, where Paul, he specifically charges fathers with the responsibility of rearing up their children in the nurture and admonition, or as the New American Standard Bible says, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you have to notice as he is writing here, he warns of the abuse of power in verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So he warns very carefully at the very outset of talking about instruction and discipline not to be abusive, not to abuse that authority that you have over your children. Fathers, you must be careful in that regard. You must practice self-control. There must be restraint. Even as an authoritative figure within your home, you have to practice restraint. You have to have control of yourself. And so really, as a father, before you can really be an effective father, you have to look at yourself before you can look at your children and their behavior. Second, fathers and mothers must be intentional in training up their children with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
As he says, the word discipline there in verse 4, as the New American Standard Bible renders it, it is the act of providing guidance for responsible living, upbringing, training, instruction. And it is literally chiefly as it is attained by discipline and correction. And that's going to be a major theme as we look at this idea of discipline. Usually when we think of discipline, we immediately jump to that negative connotation, don't we? Don't we? Where we think of something that is negative or punishment that is corrective in nature. But that's not how the Bible always uses the word discipline. It is used in a very constructive way. That it is building up. That it is uh, helping build up and frame out the behavior in a, a corrective way, but not in a negative light, in like punishment. And then there is the instruction that he says. There is discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is going to primarily involve verbal teaching, that this involves offering instruction and teaching that you have to offer. And then parents also must teach wisdom to their children with an eye towards God. That is what all of this is culminating in. As he says, to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That this instruction, it is with a goal towards God. I think we do ourselves a disservice, parents, if we think our goal is to just make sure that our children are brought to church and that eventually they might, once they're old enough, be baptized. If we think that is our number one goal, then we've missed the object of parenthood. It's much bigger than that. Now, it is going to involve teaching about baptism. It's going to involve getting them to church, getting them in Bible class. It's certainly going to involve all of that. But it is bigger than that as well. And something that we have to remind ourselves of as parents, parents are not charged with living vicariously through their children. Parents are not, raised, are not charged to raise miniature versions of themselves. As much as we might take pride and joy in sharing hobbies or uh, things in common with our children, that's not the primary objective in being a parent. Parents are charged with raising children that model the heart and the life of Christ and teaching them the ways of God. You can have any hobby in the world. You could be interested in music or you could be interested in sports. And you can share all that in common. But if you don't share God in common, then you have failed as a father or as a mother. And obviously, this is not easy work. And I want to be the first to admit I'm not a perfect parent. I make mistakes. I think any parent here that is honest with themselves will say that they have made mistakes along the way. And so while I'm not going to be qualified to give you perfect advice, I can help lead us in the book that does offer perfect instruction as a parent regarding a very particular topic that needs to be addressed. This is, easy. this is not easy work. This is work that we will fall short in, but it is work that we cannot neglect. And this is a topic that is all too important that we cannot ignore. Because the Bible provides us with instruction regarding these issues. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, if you will be turning there in the passage that we heard in our reading, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the Bible does offer a very negative example of a father who did not offer rebuke to his children. That he did not discipline his children. And we need to take heed, we need to take caution, we need to look at this example and learn from it to realize the importance of discipline in the home. And so what you would notice with me in 1 Samuel chapter 3... If you actually go back into the second chapter, is where we are introduced to Eli. He is a priest of God. He is serving as priest. He is training the young boy Samuel. 
who is going to be a judge for Israel and a prophet. But Eli, his sons are terribly wicked. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and beginning in verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And the custom of the priest with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who, sacri- who was sacrificing, Give the priest meat for roasting, as he will not take boiled meat from you, only raw. If the man said to him, They must surely burn the fat first, and then take as much as you desire, then he would say, No, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force." Thus the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. We have a lot of the information that belongs to their tasks as priests here, Eli's sons. But what you have to realize and recognize is that they were taking advantage of that position, that they were not operating as they should as priests before God. They would take of the sacrifices and the parts of the sacrifices that were first supposed to go to God. As you might also continue reading in verse 22, it says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with women who served at the doorway of the tent of meeting. It did not just involve the uh, poor uh, work of making sacrifices. It also involved sexual immorality and their sins. And verse 12 was very clear that they did not know the Lord. They were merely pretenders. They were not truly operating with a real knowledge uh, and real fellowship of who God was. And we have to begin to be honest with ourselves as parents. We have to look at our children. Are they merely pretending to go along with things? Are they merely pretending to play church, if you will? I enjoy seeing several of our kids after services. They will, if parents are back there talking, they'll get kind of tired of playing and running around, and they'll come up here and they will start having their own worship service. Uh, if you've never seen it, it's kind of fun to see, and, and it fills you with some some pride and joy that they are interested in that. But if that's the extent of where they go, and I think we have failed. If it's only playing church, and it's not about building a true connection and relationship with the Lord, then parents, we have to take a look at ourselves. We have to take responsibility to perceive and examine carefully the attitudes of our children as best as we can. While we cannot force their sincerity... We can guide them and instruct them. We can rebuke their pretending. And that's what Eli does. Might have been a little soft. But in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, He said to them, Why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people know, my sons, For the report is not good which I hear the Lord's people circulating. If one man sins against another, God will mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen. 
to the voice of their father, for the Lord desired to put them to death. I think you have to just be fair and you have to appreciate that at least Eli said something here. But it's too little too late, isn't it? The proof was already in the pudding. That's why God was going to hold them accountable for their sins. And that's why God was going to hold Eli accountable for their error. And parents, this is what ignoring problems will lead to. Things don't get better if you ignore the problems that might exist and that might fester. This is why training and teaching your children needs to happen when they are younger. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you will step up when things get bad enough when, you're, when they're older. Because if you have allowed time to go on, it's going to be nearly impossible to undo everything. Offering rebuke, correction, instruction, and discipline at an early age will reinforce the good things that your children need to know later, like respect, authority, and obedience. That's why the Proverbs are so powerful and poignant. In Proverbs chapter 22... In Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now being a parent, it begins when they are young. Train them up when they are young so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. And I think it is evident as you look at Eli and his sons is that they had rarely, if ever been held accountable or disciplined or rebuked by their father. That's why it was so easy for them to ignore the voice of their father. If this had been something that had happened often, where Eli might voice his opinion and his rebuke, you have to think they would at least respect him enough to listen if this is something that was a fairly common occurrence, by the time they have reached adulthood and Eli is an old man, and he is now just stepping up, it's far too late. And so God decided to punish the house of Eli. In verse 31 of chapter 2, It says, Behold, the days are coming when I will break your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. You will see the distress of my dwelling in spite of all the good that I do for Israel. And an old man will not be in your house forever. God was going to punish the house of Eli and not allow an old man to live. That They were all going to die young. This is what a home without discipline is going to result in. In chapter 3 and in verse 13, For I have told him, this is God speaking to Samuel, it says, For I have told him that, that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And you turn over the next page, chapter 4. In chapter 4 and in verse 10, you see that the Philistines come up against Israel. And it says in verse 10, So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great. For there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. 
Skipping down to verse 15. Now Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were set so that he could not see. The man said to Eli, I am the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line today. And he said, how did things go, my son? Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has also been a great slaughter among the people, and your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been taken. Notice verse 18, when he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken and he died, for he was old and heavy, thus he judged Israel forty years. What a sad and disappointing moment in Israel's history. The ark of God which symbolized the very presence of God among Israel it had been captured. And it was all laying at the feet and the responsibility of Eli. Because Eli did not rebuke his sons. In verse 13 of chapter 3, For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew. Because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. And what's sad is that Samuel, being trained by Eli and brought up knowing God, knowing the Lord, being a prophet and a judge for Israel. As a father, he failed in many of the same ways. In chapter 8, in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and in verse 3, it says, talking about Samuel's sons, his sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. And that became the excuse that Israel was looking for to say to God, give us a king. Very sad moment here in these opening eight chapters of 1 Samuel. What are some of the excuses that many times I've heard parents make in some form or another, maybe not quite with these words or these phrases, but we've all heard it in some way or another. Let them sow their wild oats. You know, we acknowledge that young people are going to misbehave, they're going to challenge authority, they're going to try to seek their own way. What do you say? They'll find out the consequences of it later, right? Well, yes, they will. <laughs> but that doesn't mean you get to just walk away from it, hands off the wheel, and say, let them do it. In the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Do you want your children to reap corruption? Or do you want better for your children? I hope you want better for them. I hope you want better for them, and so you better wake up. You better have an eye for the reality of their attitude and their behavior. Maybe we've heard something, experience is the best teacher, right? Sometimes we like to brag, I came from the school of hard knocks, right? We, we kind of like to take some pride in that, maybe thump our chest a little bit and say, yeah, I learned everything that I needed through experience. I didn't get it from formal education or something like that. And that may be fine, well, and good. But I think we need to realize that experience is not the best teacher, especially for our children. Because experience might ruin our children. In the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 7, and you can look at several 
passages here in the opening chapters of Proverbs. But notice in Proverbs chapter 7, at the close of the chapter, as this father has been writing to his son, as Solomon is speaking and writing to his son about some things, especially of a sexual nature. He says in verse 24, Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. That's pretty opening, eye-opening, isn't it? And if you allow your children to experience this, guess what? He says it's going to lead to death. Parents, do you want your children to learn that? Kind of experience? I hope not. What you see is that the book of Proverbs are all about warnings to avoid making mistakes by not engaging in these sinful experiences. And in fact, a godly father. And a godly mother, but I would say especially a godly father, is going to be the best teacher that you could find. In Proverbs chapter 6, in Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 24, notice what he says, To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart. Nor let her capture you with her eyelids, for on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? He's saying don't learn from experience. Listen to what I have to say, son. He says in verse 28, Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? That if you experience these things, there's going to be consequences, and they may be terrible consequences. Don't fall for the societal beliefs that experience is going to be the best teacher for your kids. You, as a godly father or godly mother, you be the best teacher for your kids. Or maybe we sometimes say, well, they're too old. They're going to do what they want. Maybe there is an element of truth in that. But that does not give you the excuse to shirk your responsibility as a father. Because even when Eli was old and advanced in years, upward to his 90s, God was still saying, you did not rebuke your children. Parents, you know what? They're always going to be their parent. Even when they're old, even when they're adults, even when they're having kids of their own. You may not be able to bend them over your knee or something like that anymore. Those days might be gone. But you're still your mother and father. Don't waste that. That relationship that you have, no one else gets to have that relationship with your children. So even when they are old, and even when they are doing what they want to do, you still have a responsibility as a parent, as a father, or as a mother. And it may be, the sad truth is, that the choices our children make when they are older and when they are doing what they want to do is only a reflection of the values that we have taught them. And so when you begin to see issues of sexual deviancy or poor dating and marriage choices or immodesty or laziness or drunkenness or societal influence coming into your home where YouTube has a greater influence over your children than the parents do or video games or whatever it may be, that has a greater influence over your children than you yourself, it's time to reevaluate some things. 
when there's lack of interest in God or the Bible and church. You can't ignore those problems. And parents, you cannot be unaware. Too many parents may not be vocalizing any of these excuses, but they are pretending that they don't see problems. So they ignore them. Or they take a laissez-faire approach to parental responsibilities and they just say, we're going to see where this leads. That might be exactly where Eli was as a parent. And what happened was Israel was defeated by the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant was taken. Eli's sons were committing abominable acts of sexual immorality, corrupting the priesthood. And it led to their downfall and destruction. Parents, we cannot accept society's standards for parenting. Look at the direction that society is going. I fear too often whenever we think of discipline, we think of that negative form of discipline, we think of only punishment and then we jump straight to abuse, don't we? That's how pop psychology wants to go. They want to talk about the harm of punishing your kids, right? And using physical corporal punishment like spanking or, or swatting. They say that's all bad. Don't do that. It's going to harm your kids and destroy them. We have to realize that the opposite of wrong discipline is not the absence of discipline. The opposite of wrong discipline is right discipline or true discipline. And the opposite of no discipline at all is not cruelty. It is balanced discipline. It's controlled discipline. And so parents, we must be firm. We have to be precise. We have to demand obedience. But we shouldn't be cruel. In the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes here in Colossians 3 and verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. You don't need to be overbearing. You don't need to be cruel. You don't need to be unfair. There is a distinction between being strict and being cruel. We might expect and demand obedience and compliance. We don't have to be cruel when they are disobedient. And then we have to exemplify the qualities that we would expect as parents. You know, sometimes we expect the preacher to practice what he preaches, right? Parents, are we practicing what we parent? Do we teach and live out in our own life what we expect? There's danger in fathers or mothers who have high expectations but absolutely zero involvement. But neither should you be so passive that you show little to no involvement with your children at all. And sometimes... When we know that our children are doing evil, we become a passive participant in it, don't we? I think that's what the Apostle Paul warns about in the book of Romans in chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, as Paul offers a, a long laundry list of things here, a long list of wicked things that society has come to 
being filled, he says in Romans 1 verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips. He goes on and on. He includes in verse 30, disobedient to parents. Then he says in verse 32, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see, over time, we may not actually be involved in anything wrong or sinful, but maybe after enough time passes, we kind of become a passive participant, don't we? When we might offer excuses for our children. When they engage in prodigal living, we have to ask ourselves, are we becoming a passive participant in it? So what does God expect of us in the home? Well, He expects discipline. And when I use that term discipline, I mean this in a very robust kind of way. I don't mean just jump. Don't, when I say discipline tonight, don't think just... Sean means spanking. <laughs> don't, don't think that. When I say discipline, I mean first and foremost, I mean instruction. In Proverbs 3, in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. You see this impassioned speech, don't you? You can imagine a wise father telling his children, his sons, all of this, right? He's trying to give them just good wisdom for how to live life and how to succeed. Fathers, we need to be reading the book of Proverbs. If we want to be able to teach our children and equip them, we need to be getting into the book of Proverbs, I think. But it might be that this is where our discipline fails the most. Because how many of us are having conversations like that with our children? Fathers, mothers, all of us included. How many of us stop and have that kind of conversation? Maybe that's where we fail, in discipline. That we're not communicating to our children what is right and proper behavior. We need to be sure that we are communicating expectations on the front end. That we tell them that if you do this, this is going to lead to great blessing and trust in the Lord. And He will be with you in your way. He will make your paths straight, it says. And He will be with you. He will bless you. How many times are we, are, do we have those conversations with our children? You know, sometimes we, we are quick to we see a behavior and we say, all right, I've got to fix that. I'm just as guilty about that. I see a negative problem, I see a problem, and I'm like, okay, i got to correct that. Let's go punish. You need to instruct first. 
before I might get on to my kid for running into the build, running inside the church building, I need to tell him, hey, this is why you don't do that. You might knock someone over. You might hurt somebody. You run outside. You don't run inside. I have to instruct first. But then if instruction is not followed, if it's not obeyed, then there must be punishment. And so yes, when Sean does talk about discipline, he does include spanking or swatting. Use of the rod as the book of Proverbs talks about in Proverbs chapter 20. In Proverbs chapter 20 and in verse 30, Stripes that wound scour away evil, and strokes reach the innermost part. And it's not about the actual hitting or that physical abuse, but it's trying to reach the inside. It's trying to reach the heart of your child. Reinforced in a very physical way. In Proverbs chapter 22 and in verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. If you're not using the rod at home, then you are allowing foolishness to come into the home. That's what the Proverbs say. In chapter 23... In Proverbs chapter 23 and in verse 13, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. This isn't, if this is newsflash for anyone, this isn't come from me. This has been ancient. It's been in the Bible. If you spank your child, they're not going to die. I don't care what any pop psychologist will tell you. <laughs> this book has been around and sold a lot more than any New York Times bestseller books on parenting. That if you strike your child, they're not going to die. It's not going to hurt them. It's not going to harm them permanently. You might feel the sting for a minute. But if that helps you curb bad behavior for years to come, then it's well worth it. In chapter 29 of Proverbs... In Proverbs chapter 29, and in verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Again, in verse, verse 17, correct your son and he will give you comfort. He will also delight your soul. Physical punishment is not cruel. If it was cruel, then God would not prescribe it. Okay? If it was evil, God would not tell you to do it. Spanking and swatting done within the context of a loving and involved parent, and that might be the caveat to this whole discussion. A loving and involved parent who has instructed their child and communicated those instructions, it will be effective. And if you have not communicated well and you just get angry and spank a child, then it is not going to be very effective. But you know what else won't be effective? Ignoring bad behavior and not spanking your child? That's not going to be effective either. Refusal to discipline results in something that I hope none of us want for our children. And that's their spiritual destruction. In Proverbs chapter 19, in Proverbs chapter 19 and in verse 18, notice what Solomon says here. Discipline your son while there is hope. 
and do not desire his death. If you refuse to discipline, and that's where I mean this in a very robust way, okay, that involves instruction and punishment. If you refuse to do that, then it is going to lead to your child's spiritual destruction. Discipline your child. If you have hope for them, if you want them to live up to what you know that they can be, then it involves discipline in the home. Understand that what I'm saying may seem antiquated, it may seem outdated. All the parenting books are going to tell you that I am encouraging harm. But in Proverbs chapter 17, Proverbs chapter 17 and in verse 10, it says, A rebuke goes deeper into one who has understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. If I were up here telling you, just spank, 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 or swat, 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 yep, and I'm wrong. I'd be wrong. Because there are limitations to what I'm saying. There are limitations to corporal punishment. Words of correction and rebuke may indeed be more powerful if your child has understanding and respect for you. But if instruction and physical correction is not sufficient, then you know what else may be required? Open rebuke and open shame. In Proverbs chapter 27 and in verse 5, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. We may have to sometimes be pretty open with our correction of bad behavior. We may have to be very open in our rebuke of sinful behavior. I think... We do ourselves a disservice whenever parents try to shield their children from rebuke or shame. We've all probably heard of situations where parents were right down the line on doctrinal issues like marriage, divorce, remarriage until it involves a family member, right? We've all probably heard something like that. But then something changes within the family and we, we start beginning to change our own ideas and opinions even in matters of congregational discipline, rebuke, an open rebuke is a good thing. It's a necessary thing at times. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 3, For I on my part, though absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present in the name of our Lord Jesus when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's why we practice church discipline. That's why we practice discipline in the home. We want to see our children saved. We want to see them go to heaven. And so we have to ask ourselves, as parents, some questions. We have to be honest in our own reflection. Are we ignoring something that in our parenting that is reflected in our children's behavior? Before we look at our children and just their behavior, look at yourself. We have to all look at ourselves first. Are we willing to accept help from those who can see obvious weaknesses in our parenting? Are we ourselves willing to accept discipline? Is Christ seen in our home through our words and our actions? 
Are we willing to change methods? If what we are doing is not working, are we willing to change? Are we ready to remove time away from electronics, phones, game consoles, computers, whatever it might be? Are we helping our children learn more about becoming like Jesus? As I mentioned at the beginning of the lesson, it's not just about getting them in the water. As much as that is a part of it, being a faithful parent is training them to become more like Jesus. Because how many people do we know that have been baptized but have fallen away or have lived hypocritical lives? We need to be willing to help our children learn more about becoming like Jesus. This is obviously not an exhaustive list of questions. and just all that we have time for tonight. I appreciate your good attention this evening. Eli failed in his most important role in being a father. Thankfully, we all have a perfect father. A father who is in heaven. A father who offers second chances, like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, who saw his son coming back and accepted his repentance and celebrated. We have a father who is willing to celebrate with us, even though we have sinned. We also have a perfect, fam- or perfect example to follow in Jesus Christ who is our brother. He is the one who has shown us what perfect obedience looks like. And he demonstrates that what the family ought to be like. When you look at God the Father and Jesus the Son, it shows us an example and a standard for the family. And Jesus demonstrates what we all must be. Obedient children of God. And tonight, you have an opportunity to become a child of God. If you have walked away from the Lord, if you've not been living faithfully for Him, if you are engaged in a life of sin, you can come to the Lord. And He will embrace you and love you and be merciful to you and forgive you of your sins if you will come to Him. If you need to be baptized in water to have your sins washed away, we're happy to help you and we encourage you to do that.